Section twenty four of A Lear of the Steps, etc., by Ivan Turgenev. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Asia, part eleven. As I set off next day to the Gagins, I did not ask myself whether I was in love with Asia, but I thought a great deal about her. Her fate absorbed me. I rejoiced at our unexpected intimacy. I felt that it was only yesterday I had got to know her. Till then she had turned away from me. And now, when she had at last revealed herself to me, in what a seductive light her image showed itself, how fresh it was for me, what secret fascinations were modestly peeping out. I walked boldly up the familiar road, gazing continually at the cottage, a white spot in the distance. I thought not of the future, not even of the morrow. I was very happy. Asia flushed directly I came into the room. I noticed that she had dressed herself in her best again, but the expression of her face was not in keeping with her finery. It was mournful, and I had come in such high spirits. I even fancied that she was on the point of running away as usual, but she controlled herself and remained. Gagin was in that peculiar condition of artistic heat and intensity which seizes amateurs all of a sudden, like a fit, when they imagine they are succeeding in catching nature and pinning her down. He was standing with dishevelled locks and besmeared with paint, before a stretched canvas, and flourishing the brush over it. He almost savagely nodded to me, turned away, screwed up his eyes, and bent again over his picture. I did not hinder him, but went and sat down by Asia. Slowly her dark eyes turned to me. "'You're not the same today as yesterday.' I observed, after ineffectual efforts to call up a smile on her lips. "'No, I'm not,' she answered, in a slow and dull voice. "'But that means nothing. I did not sleep well. I was thinking all night.' "'What about?' "'Oh, I thought about so many things. It's a way I have had from childhood, ever since I used to live with mother.' She uttered the word with an effort, and then repeated again. When I used to live with mother, I used to think why it was no one could tell what would happen to her. And sometimes one sees trouble coming, and one can't escape, and how it is one can never tell all the truth. Then I used to think I knew nothing, and that I ought to learn. I want to be educated over again. I am very badly educated. I can't play the piano, I can't draw, and even sewing I do very badly. I have no talent for anything. I must be a very dull person to be with." "'You're unjust to yourself,' I replied. "'You've read a lot, you're cultivated, and with your cleverness—' "'Why, am I clever?' she asked, with such naive interest that I could not help laughing, but she did not even smile. "'Brother, am I clever?' she asked Gagin. He made her no answer, but went on working, continually changing brushes and raising his arm. I don't know myself what is in my head," Asya continued, with the same dreamy air. I am sometimes afraid of myself, really. Ah, I should like— Is it true that women ought not to read a great deal? A great deal's not wanted, but— Tell me what I ought to read. Tell me what I ought to do. I will do everything you tell me," she added, turning to me with innocent confidence. I could not at once find a reply. You won't be dull with me, though." What nonsense! I was beginning. All right, thanks. 
Asya put in. I was thinking you would be bored. And her little hot hand clasped mine warmly. N! Gagin cried at that instant. Isn't that background too dark? I went up to him. Asya got up and went away. Part Twelve she came back in an hour, stood in the doorway, and beckoned to me. "'Listen,' she said, "'if I were to die, would you be sorry?' "'What ideas you have to-day!' I exclaimed. "'I fancy I shall die soon. It seems to me sometimes as though everything about me were saying good-bye. It's better to die than live like this. Ah! Don't look at me like that. I'm not pretending, really. Or else I shall begin to be afraid of you again.' why were you afraid of me if i am queer it's really not my fault she rejoined you see i can't even laugh now she remained gloomy and preoccupied till evening something was taking place in her what i did not understand her eyes often rested upon me my heart slowly throbbed under her enigmatic gaze she appeared composed, and yet, as I watched her, I kept wanting to tell her not to let herself get excited. I admired her, found a touching charm in her pale face, her hesitating, slow movements, but for some reason she fancied I was out of humour. "'Let me tell you something,' she said to me not long before parting. "'I am tortured by the idea that you consider me frivolous.' For the future, believe what I say to you, only do you, too, be open with me, and I will always tell you the truth. I give you my word of honour." This word of honour set me laughing again. "'Oh, don't laugh,' she said earnestly, "'or I shall say to you to-day what you said to me yesterday. Why are you laughing?' And after a brief silence she added, "'Do you remember you spoke yesterday of wings?' My wings have grown, but I have nowhere to fly. Nonsense, I said. All the ways lie open before you. Asya looked at me steadily, straight in the face. You have a bad opinion of me to-day, she said, frowning. I? A bad opinion of you? Why is it you are both so low-spirited? Gagin interrupted me. Would you like me to play a waltz as I did yesterday? No, no, replied Asya and she clenched her hands. Not to-day, not for anything. I'm not going to force you to. Don't excite yourself. Not for anything, she repeated, turning pale. Can it be she's in love with me? I thought, as I drew near the dark, rushing waters of the Rhine. End of section 24